0: We are wrapping up our series today called reactions speak louder than words. Reactions speak louder than words. And the main idea of this series is that we've heard that actions speak louder than words, right? That's a common saying that we have. But the truth of the matter is that often our reactions to things speak louder than our actions or our words. And so this series is all about learning how to have some self-control and to have some self-awareness as we experience conflicts and uncomfortable situations in our lives. A month ago, I would have preached a sermon called Shut the Door to Distractions, and that message seemed to resonate with a lot of you, and it was talking about enemies and how we approach people that oppose us, um, and there was a lot that I didn't get to say in that message because it was, you know, got to get y'all home on time to eat lunch, um, but consider this kind of a continuation that, a part two of that. I feel like there's some things and some themes that really dovetail really well in this message. Today's message is called If God is for You if God is for you, and this whole idea of what it means for God to be on your side. So I want to begin in my primary text today, Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 to 14. I would have read this in that previous message. So it reads, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out here into Egypt? Out of Egypt. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, "Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians." It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert." And Moses answered the people, "Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. This is when Moses is leading the people out of Egypt, where God promises them deliverance. And all the plagues happen, and Pharaoh gets all of these signs, but he's hard, still hardened. And then after a while, he says, you know what? Let me let these people go. And then he has a change of heart, and this is where the story picks up. And what ends up happening to the people of God is that they put some rose-colored glasses on, right? We know what that is. We like to revise history a little bit to make it a little bit more comfortable for us, right? that the Israelites wanted to control how their freedom looked. They wanted to get their own way. And that creates more problems for them than it does solutions, right? Because to return to Egypt would mean that they would get even harsher punishments, right? That, that Pharaoh would not be happy. Oh, y'all was trying to get away? Come, y'all work an extra. I can put extra days on the calendar just so y'all could work, right? They would be creating more problems for themselves than to just continue to walk in the freedom that God is giving them. Their reaction to what was happening was irrational. It was was counterintuitive to the way in which God wanted to bring them through freedom. So if we stand still, as Moses says, and let the Lord fight our battles, we don't have to fight on the level of the oppressor or of the situation, but we allow God to fight on God's level, right? So I want to dovetail this with another passage from Romans uh, Romans chapter eight, and before we read it, I want to give you a little bit of context of the story. We can hold on to the scripture for a second. Biblical scholars note that Romans, uh, this Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Rome. Around a very tumultuous time. It was a very troubling time for the people of God. And so there's this ancient historian, Suetonius, he records that the Jewish people were expelled from Rome after, quote unquote, disturbances at the instigation of Crestus. It's spelled C H uh, E R, C H uh, R E S T U S, which is kind of like this misspelling of Christus or Jesus, right? So whenever the gospel message was preached in Roman synagogues and in Rome, these quote-unquote disturbances would happen. People would get up in a tizzy. And this prompted the emperor at the time to kick them out of Rome. And so he says, listen, y'all get out of here. We don't want any trouble right now. Go away with this message. Now, when this emperor died, Jewish Christians returned back to Rome, but they found that the situation was a little bit different than they left it. There was more non-Jewish people adhering to this way of Jesus, more Gentile Christians than they met there. And because of that, you can understand why some tensions start to ensue, why there's some friction that begins to happen there. And so Paul writes to the Romans, the Roman Christians, to help them to reconcile and comfort the people in their present troubles, in the friction, in the discord that they are experiencing So this is where we pick it up in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 32. Some famous verses. And we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called Those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. This is the important part here. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Letting God fight our battles is not about supremacy or superiority. Let's just get that out of the way, right? This is about releasing control and surrendering to God. The Roman Christians knew a little thing or two about persecutions and challenges. So Paul is admonishing them here to put their hope not in their own power to deliver themselves, but in the assurance that God fights for them in every circumstance that they experience. And so even if the world around them does not extend love and justice, God, through Jesus, gives them love and justice lavishly and endlessly. I don't know much about the footballs. Um, Super Bowl was last week. I only went to help provide food and watch the Rihanna concert. I'm just to be honest, I know very little about football. It's a very hard game in my mind, and I'm a little bit too old to learn at this point. I'm not. I just don't care to. Um, but I really like the entertainment factor around football. I like the business deals and all of this news and all the stuff that happens, like the pop, the pop culture part of football, right? So in December 2022... There was this football game, the Raiders and the Patriots. Don't ask me where their teams are from. I just know they're the Raiders and they're the Patriots. And they had this game against one another, and there was this video that went viral on the internet of this woman berating this Raiders fan. I think we have a clip of it here. She is just going at him in his face after the Raiders won this game. And we just see this young man just standing there. He, He just takes it. He doesn't react. You could even see like her husband or whoever's with her is like, yo, I I don't want any smoke. Let's go home, right? But she is just going at him, and he doesn't react. He doesn't retaliate. And people are trying to figure out, in in light of this video going viral, who this guy was. Because it couldn't have been me. I would have duffed her out. She would have been laid right out on the ground, right? And people are like, who is this man that has just taken this this beratement? Well, he reveals himself later on Twitter, and he tweets and he says, I'd like to thank everyone for all the kind words. I'm the Patriots fan in the video. My name is Jerry Edmond, and that was my first ever NFL game. I didn't want to ruin my experience by retaliating towards that woman, so I kept my cool. Well, afterwards, when this tweet goes viral, the Patriots' owner, Robert Kraft, did this. How are you, man? How are you? Good to see you. What you did was so classy, and you represent what our whole franchise is about. Building bridges. Yeah. Hey, Jay. What's up, man? They're all big fans. I'm sorry that that happened to you. and sorry that people can be like that. You showed the level of maturity and grace that very few people can arrive to. So I know you got to be a special person, man. So I got another, you know what? How about you guys? It's kind of cold. How about if you come to our suite and watch the game there? Yeah, I'll do that. Okay. Welcome to Fox World, man. Thank you, my man. Thank you, sir. Good day here, man. Hey. Hey, hey, man. What's man? Hey. Hey, man? David. Nice to meet you, man. Nice to meet Welcome you. To hey, bro. We're stuck, bro. We're stuck at <laughs> man. Thank you. What's up, now, brother? How, how you doing? my man? Freeze. Good to see you. Charles, I don't know if you saw the viral video, Pats fan Jerry Edmond was in Las Vegas last week. The Kraft family saw it, they invited him to the game as their guest. It was all like a dream, I'm not going to lie to you, because everything was happening so fast, it was just like, nah, I'm still still, still processing everything right now, Uh, it was amazing, it was amazing, I'm not going to lie to you, it was like a dream come true. Isn't that amazing? Jerry Edmund made me think about the way that Jesus works in the world and the way that he calls us to be. Right? That he he stood there and then and we clarified in this series that there's a very fine line between accepting abuse, right, and cycles of abuse. That's a whole different conversation. But what we see here is that he stands still, knowing a lot of things that he knows about the context of America, and he says, I'm not gonna fall for that trap. That I'm going to stand here, and I am going to just be a graceful person, and I'm going to go home. I'm just going to enjoy my life. This moment will not define me, right? And it makes me think about the way of Jesus and the way that he lived his life. I would have read last week that the, the writer of 1 Peter testifies to this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit, and was, no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to Him judges justly. Friends, just because someone claims to be your enemy doesn't mean that you have to return the favor. Just because someone claims to be an adversary of yours doesn't mean that you have to reciprocate that. Because God is the one who will turn opposition and adversity to opportunity and advancement. God is the one who will turn your opposition and adversity into an opportunity and advancement for your life. And the kicker is that God doesn't even have to touch your enemies to do it. We hear nothing about the lady that was berating him because it wasn't ever about her. It was about the way in which Mr. Edmund reacted and the way that he carried himself in the world. And I think we need to have this grace perspective on our enemies when when I think about that, because God is not interested in retaliation like we are right? God is not interested in smiting people as much as we would like God to do it, (laughs) right? The more painful thing for our enemies and when we are enemies to others is to be confronted with the grace of God, that God gives us this opportunity to hold space and to hold grace for other people, that to see that it's not you, right? It's it's, it's not you or the thing that you're saying to them. It's the thing that's going on deeper inside of them the insecurity, the envy, the self hatred that they hold. And that's why they are reacting that way. And Jesus commands that we pray for them, that God will change their hearts and help them to see their own belovedness. And it doesn't excuse hurt. It doesn't excuse mistreatment or improper behavior, but it does help us to see the humanity in people, and by extension, our own need for grace. Psalm 23, verse 5, the psalmist says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows." There's two dimensions to this verse that I I really like. On one side, there is this side of justice, right? That because our adversaries tell us that we don't deserve a seat at the table, God subverts this whole narrative by creating a table for us, right? For them to see that God says, I'm going to create a table for you even though others have denied you an opportunity. So there's a sense of justice here. But on the other side of it is grace and mercy. That And I broke this idea down a couple of months ago, but what if it wasn't that God was preparing a table for us that we could just flex on our enemies, that we can just show off, right? What if it was God preparing a table for us with extra chairs? What if it was an open invitation to come and sit and eat? And God says to our enemies, listen, it's up to you. You, you can eat in the corner by yourself or you can come and sit with us over here and have a good time. It's up to you, and that's the type of God that we serve. We see this in the Last Supper, don't we, that there was a table prepared, and Jesus sat with people that he knew would deny him and betray him, and yet stills break bread with him, and still drinks from the same cup. So maybe we need to revisit this whole label and this idea of enemies, right? Because sometimes it is appropriate so that you don't be naive and you walk into the world as if you know everybody's your friend when they're not. But then there are other times where we call people our enemies because we project our own personal hangups, our own insecurities, right? And stick with me here. Don't, don't run out quite yet. We've seen this, in our country recently, with this recent wave of xenophobia, where we look at people from other nationalities, particularly our Haitian brothers and sisters, and we say that you are the other, and you don't deserve dignity and respect, right? We, and I encourage you to not, <laughs> but if you have the courage, look at the comments section sometimes of newscasts and journalist pages, and outlets and see the kind of things that we say about children of God, the ways in which we talk about people made in the image and the belovedness of God. And you almost wonder, are we really a Christian nation like we say we are? It feels Christian nationalist, which is a whole other thing, but are we actually operating in the spirit of God when we're clicking away? when we're forwarding messages, when we're typing one thing or the next, right? Because we react to issues that, yes, we may have a legitimate reason to have political discourse about certain issues. There is a nuance there, right? We have a responsibility in those ways, but not at the expense of using vitriol against people that God has called his own, right? Right? And that's why Jesus says to us to love your enemies, or think about it this way, love the people who you have constructed in your mind as enemies, because given the opportunity, we will play God, and we will want to smite them, right? When we see this passage say, if God is for you, if it's not a statement of uncertainty, it's a rhetorical device saying, since you believe... (laughs) that God is for you, why spend your energy on people who don't get you or imagining enemies that may or may not exist? Either way, God is for you and God is with you. And so how do we know that God is for us when we read in Romans chapter eight, verse 32? Paul says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, give us graciously all things? Jesus went to great lengths, to the point of death, ultimately resurrection, to not stay there, to show us the extent of God's love, not just for us individually, but for all of humankind. And before we were even born, God knew us, God was for us, and we have the promise that God will always be with us. We read in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, and this is my closing verse for today. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs Up anger. In today's climate, it feels like we're often told that seeking peace or resolution is soft, right? That is passive is weak. And by that very standard that we have created, Jesus himself would have been considered soft and passive and weak, right? That, That we would not be the disciples who are at the foot of the cross mourning him. We would be the criminal on the cross, jeering at him, saying, why don't you save yourself if you're so bad? If you're so tough, if you're so mighty, why don't you save yourself, right? We would be the ones opposing him. We would be the ones saying, if you are so strong, show them who you are. Take them out. But Jesus' perceived weakness was God's strength at work, God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love even in his death coming to life. God fights for us, friends, and I believe that God's battle is not a petty fight with other people, but a fight for love to rule the day. So, may we trade being maliciously reactive for being lovingly proactive in the confidence that God not only came to be with us, but God is here and God is for us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, there are times where we want to have a quick word. We want to have something snappy to say, we want to have something quick witted to do in defense of ourselves, in defense of our pride. But God, may you help us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. That in the ways in which we live out in the world, that in the ways in which we react to things, that people may see you shining through, that they will look and they will say that there is something different about the way that these people walk and the way that these people seek peace and resolution in this world. God, challenge each one of us this day because there's so many things that come at us on a day-to-day basis. May God, you just inspire us to not just be peacekeepers, but to be peacemakers, the ones that go ahead and provide opportunities for us to come together and to be reconciled as you want us to be reconciled to you. May we react with ways that demonstrate love, mercy, grace, and that all of these things would give the world some hope that you are still at work, that you have never left us, that you have never forsaken us, that you are always and always have been for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh,